1: Happy Friday, Halloween Friday at that. Uh, The big debate this year. Do we go trick-or-treating on Saturday, Sunday, or both? But we're going to dig into bigger problems here (laughs) on Take Two. Thanks so much for being with us. Greg Hughes is taking a luxurious vacation. Uh, Kirk Colmore is here in his stead, and Maura Carabello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Uh, No one in here, in case you're wondering, since it is the Halloween edition, we're not dressed up.
2: It's true. Sorry. Party poopers. No kidding. We did not I represent I did wear a today. black
1: dress in case somebody's like, what are you? And I could say I was a bad witch, but it's just, <laughs> it's hard in the professional world to come in a
2: costume, right? It's true. It's true. I have some Day of the Dead earrings. You do? That I thought, mm-hmm. and then... I forgot until I was dressed and there was too much effort.
1: Do you dress up? Are you a dresser upper? I'm
2: not. I'm a look I have on Day of the Dead earrings. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's how I roll too. I'm like zero percent fun. Are you fun when you go home to the kids and the family and you're gonna be something awesome this you know, weekend? It,
0: it's not my thing to be fun, but I usually get coerced <laughs> into doing it. So
1: Uh see I wish I was one of those cool wives that like coerced and like planned family costumes. I just I'm like I asked my son today, I'm like, do you have a costume? And he's like, mom, it's a little late for that. I'm like, (laughs) okay. 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 You should buy yourself a better mom. (laughs) You seem great, though. You you look cute. I know, and I just actually picked him up because it was early day on Friday, so I got to pick him up, and he and his friends jumped in the car. I'm like, oh, none of you dressed up. And they're like, what? We dressed up as supermodels. And I was like, (laughs) oh, you're right. I'm sorry to not recognize that. So... All right, we've got serious stuff to talk about, and the funny thing is, is there's big things going on on the national scale, but I feel like we have so much going on in our own internal state of Utah that we're just going to have to stick with that. And uh, Kirk, last time you came in, you had a bill. You're already throwing out another new bill going on right now. You said you can't talk a lot about it. We actually skipped it last week because we ran out of time, but you're talking energy and green, which doesn't feel very Republican in the state of Utah. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, it doesn't. But at the same time, it's something that everybody, when I talk to anybody, I do survey in my Senate district. And usually the number one issue to come back, whether it's Republicans or otherwise, is air quality. And so, you know, as a Republican, I feel like this is something that we need to own. And you see some of our federal delegation starting to own it, whether it's Senator Mitt Romney or Congressman Curtis. And so, it, it's important to a lot of people, and so let's, let's tackle it. Let's find a way to do this. And so O2 Utah is a new group that's concerned about our air quality and our airshed. And so I've been working with them, and, and we've come up with what we're calling Prosperity 2030 with a goal of reducing uh, pollutants in our air, air by 50% by 2030. And so you've got to look at all the different pollution points, you know, mobile, mobile sources, uh, point sources, the big... manufacturers and stuff like that and and even homes and all that and so I'm trying to work with all the various groups right now I'm meeting with a lot of different parties before we roll out the specifics, because I want to make sure that it's vetted and yeah. that people don't initially just react the wrong way and we kill it before we even get going.
2: The stuff. devil's in the details. This Do you is feel great. Like you can back him up on this? Yeah, I mean, that's why this is great, right? Because it takes a policy issue and makes it a policy issue and not a political issue. And, and we'll always, we've had in, in, environmentalism is too big of a bucket. And so, as Kurt well said, Clean air has been at the top of everyone's priority list for years and years, and I think it's great that now we can talk about the huge overlap there is between parties on these issues, and not everyone, but there's certainly a ton of issues where there's an overlap, and so I like that it is label-busting a little bit and just focused on the policy. Yeah, it's good.
1: Um, Another exciting thing that uh, yesterday came out is that Utah is applying again right now for the Republican National Convention, and I know, Mara, you would be very excited to go to this. We've tried before. Utah is Utah, and we don't matter a lot in presidential politics, at least we thought until recently. Do you think we have even the slightest chance at this point? You know, the VP debate put us up a wrong or no? I mean, it probably got us
2: on the radar of the staffers who will be making some of these decisions and certainly we're a reliably red state. So if they wanted to come and unabashedly celebrate, I totally support and get why Utah would be looking for this. It is multiple millions of dollars. Just from a convention standpoint, it's a really big deal. I think some of the challenges are going to be, my understanding is Milwaukee might take another shot at it. And remember, they got sidelined with COVID. Um, Kansas City is going in heavy. They're a little bigger uh, area than we are. Although, as our Republicans have said, this would be a nice warm-up for the Olympics. But it is, it's a $75 to $80 million fundraising tag, which would be on the Republican Party. So, I mean, you know, who am I to say whether they can do it? But that is a really big lift and uses some resources. But you know what? That might eke us out because our lack of competitive races here, Yeah, we we could have some big guys raising money for this because they're probably okay on their statewide and congressional races. I wonder races. if we
1: have enough hotel rooms because I went in 2016 to both Cleveland and Philadelphia and admittedly we booked a little late in the game, but we literally were driving an hour, hour and a half every night and morning back and forth to the convention because it was so booked. Can Utah pull something off like this or are we just dreaming about being in the big boys club? Mm-hmm.
0: I think we definitely have the capabilities of pulling it off, and it would be fun. I mean, for that very reason you mentioned, it would it would excite everybody from Provo to Ogden would be, would be filling up hotel space, uh, transportation issues. I mean, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I don't remember the exact year, but I think it's like three or four decades since there's been a Republican National Convention west of the Mississippi so i didn't even realize
1: that west of the mississippi they don't come, come on, right boys. when i think
2: the one that w- they considered west of the mississippi if i remember was san diego and not to discount california as west of the mississippi but that means the inner mountain west hasn't been represented i yeah. think i want to say that was a mid-90s and i don't know when and if there had been we'd ha- we, we need to be mm-hmm. fun though if they come you know we gotta dust off the boots a little bit because oh, there's we, we a can ton fun of hosting to parties associated with all those conventions for those of you who have been it is it it's several nights of parties and gatherings i mean it is it is networking and partying heavy. You sound like you doubt us, Mara. I, I, I do not mean to, di- I just would say that on the selection committee, you should put a couple of Democrats on just okay. because I think they, I think they're better party planners. So they're I think this could planners. be a place where, where they could, you know, have some overlap. Listen, <laughs> we've got plenty of Pinterest moms that can plan the decorations and get things going here in Utah.
1: All right. Uh, this week has been kind of a weird week too, because we had Rob Bishop, um, pull out at the very end of the redistricting committee, uh, then we had House Majority Leader Francis Gibson say a peace out. And then last night, um, Representative Christensen. And it's a lot. Uh, we're going to look at you, be, uh, Mr. Colmore, because they're your Republican friends. What is happening? Why are you bleeding humans right now out of the political <laughs> the, the spectrum?
0: It is a lot. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the House right now. That's a lot of shakeup for a few days, you know. Right. But, um, you know, I think uh, Representative Gibson, Francis, and I have, I've, Developed a great rapport with him. I like him a lot. Uh, really enjoyed working with him, and so I wish him the best in, in whatever he, he's moving on to. And I know he's he spent a lot of time in the public eye, and so you know, being able to focus on your career and family at this point is probably important. And uh, you know, I, I hope the best for him. Uh, Representative Christiansen, Christiansen is a little bit newer to this. Um, you know that. That was a shock and news to all of us, I guess, just yes, Was that just yesterday? yesterday it's been yeah, a long last day. night,
1: maybe. Yeah. Yes, and I said his name long, Rick Christiansen. His letter came out fairly late last night. And the interesting thing was, not only did he step down from his job in the legislature, but also step down from his actual job job That's with long. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He worked with uh, the bishopric there, so... Does this all seem to be the heat that came maybe from last week when he was talking about wanting to um, audit the elections, or do you think this is building up from more than that?
0: I got to think it's building up more than that. I mean, I I know Steve, and he's got pretty thick skin, and so I don't think anything would would move that quick. But, um, you know, there's a lot of of heat that comes with being in public office sometimes. And and if I read his resignation letter right, it seems like – him and his wife or his family have been receiving some threats and stuff like that. And that, that can be a little bit overwhelming and and uh, worrisome. And so, you know, I'm sure it's a culmination of a lot of things.
1: Do you, you ever say things and your wife's like, why did you say that? Because she she has to deal with it? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. he does. There's there's concerns all the time. And, you know, I, I don't know that anybody's immune to it. I mean, we all receive threats. I, I, I shouldn't say threats we all receive a lot of negative emails and texts and stuff like that and things that that give you pause and so but sometimes it can get, it can definitely cross the line. And, you know, I feel for him and his family if that's what led to this. Yeah,
1: if you're getting all those negative emails, it just means that if this whole political thing doesn't work out, you could come work in news and you'd be fine. One day they're like, <laughs> you you, we hate your outfit. You look fat in those pants. The next day, you're <laughs> sm- not very smart. I wish you could read, you know.
2: So. Christiansen's is interesting because yeah. he resigned from both his day job and his volunteer job. And so that that is sort of. From a political point of view, it's sort of interesting was timing. Was there pressure from one or the other, you think? One doesn't know, right? But, I mean, it is interesting. He's in the secular part of, of what the church does. And it, his was just interesting, and it felt so unexpected. Um, Francis Gibson's felt slightly more expected in some ways. But what it does bring out is what y'all are talking about, which is maybe taking a minute other than – I mean, I moved to the intrigue part. Yeah. But taking a minute and saying, wow, th- this is hard on family." I mean, hard hard on families. It's I don't think people – People realize how there's very little compensation, and I would be for more compensation. We're in this awkward place in which we have a lay legislature, which I think many of us like, meaning it's not a professional legislature, but if we don't think for a minute it's not real time that cuts into jobs, and it cuts into family time, and the pressure, and then snarky you know, social media world where everyone, uh, where elected officials aren't real people, so we get to say whatever we want to them, and you see both of these representatives citing that at one level, saying, man, I'm tired, and it's been a a big lift for my family, and, you know, Christiansen hasn't been around for as long, so I'm not as that seems a little different to me, but certainly for Francis Gibson, he's, he's, he's done this for a long time. Mm -hmm. He has, as leadership, you even double the hours you're spending and you're often the focus. Um, and he, you know, it'd be interesting. He was sort of one of Greg's front guys and they were doing controversial revolutionary things. They have taken a lot of slings and arrows. And so I can see where he's saying, wow, it, it gets hard. And I think we forget to humanize the fact that they are putting in a ton of time. And mostly, I mean, we all know this, who do you receive feedback from? People who are mad, right? Very yeah. few of us bother to write and say, attaboy, thank you, yeah, good work. Yeah, great work today. I, lo- I love what <laughs> you did. for serving. <laughs> yes.
1: Do you feel like he maybe pulled some of this on him with asking for the audit after there were no major problems with the U- Utah election? Or is that his job? He's represented to represent uh, the people in his district. And if that's what the di- people in his district want, you know, he can call for these. I things. mean, this
2: is where Kosciuszczynski, I don't know how related it was to it, but he certainly picked one of the most inflamed issues that had traditionally until this point, uh, and I'll even evoke the Republican Party, through most moderates point of view, this is a fringe accusation. And most sources have said, we don't have fake elections, we had real elections. And so he really brought that to Utah, who has one of the most stellar reputations in terms of election security. So he, he was playing with a highly politicized issue. Um, and And I think got the feedback of that, like it was pretty immediate and pretty consistent, albeit short period of time. But I have to say, wow, you as a representative, you took on what is perceived as a boutique really highly inflamed political issue. Yeah and I
1: feel like if you take on an issue whether I don't know, I feel like every issue you take on right now I'm sure you get flack and if you're on social media you immediately feel it and even if you have tough skin sometimes I'll tweet a story and like just the stuff that people will tweet back in response I'm like wow, where is this coming from? Right. And you're kind of like, oh, it should be water off a duck's back. But, I mean, people read comments. These are real. It gets inside of your head. And, you know, maybe some of it, you know, you should hear. Some of it is just like, okay, why are these trolls on the Internet? Maybe they right. should go do something else with their time. But people are insane right now. I saw a video on Twitter. I think it was uh, Senator Cinema went to somebody's wedding. I don't even know if it was someone that she knew very well. And the mom came outside crying because there were um, – people protesting loudly and they were trying to have the wedding ceremony oh, wow. and she was like please for the love of everything good and holy just let my kid get married here and i'm like why how have we gotten to this point that we're just that angry and nasty that we can't let people live their lives there's an appropriate place to go protest or let people know how you feel if you want to email and say hey i don't like your bill that's fine you can come make an office hour but people are just not very nice sometimes so there's so a,
0: there's a lot of angst in talk toxicity out there right now there right? is and, yeah and I think it's you know we all know it's exacerbated by COVID and all that but but I think to both of these resignations that definitely plays a part I mean we're a part-time legislator legislature and it looks like and it feels like we've been full-time for about a year and a half now right. you know there's the the issues and the problems are relentless and so there's been a lot more time than I think has has tipped has been typical in the past.
2: Yeah, I think
1: that's yeah, true. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I mean, I think most of us probably don't have jobs where we can take time off and go to just the legislative session when you look at it, still a big hunk of time, but when you think about all the special sessions and um, what happens, there's been a lot going on. and We'll talk about the next uh, one that's coming up, but I wanted to get to Rob Bishop. He was the third one and I guess essentially the first one to step down from a position this week. He quit the redistricting committee. Um, no replacement's going to be made. Was this a political move just so the legislature, so when you go into session, can say, ah, this was unfair, we can't use any of these maps, do you really think that he had issues with it? What do you think's happening here?
0: Well, I don't know that it was orchestrated, but I think it definitely highlights that redistricting is, in its nature, a political process. I mean, if we want to try to take the politics out of it, this is politics. This is a very definition of politics, and I I think it just highlights that no matter what, when you start drawing lines... There are considerations that come into this that people are going to disagree with. And you can always yell politics or gerrymandering. And there's just no clean, right way to do that, no matter what your organization is. You can have a, quote-unquote, nonpartisan, independent redistricting commission, but politics comes into play. That's just that's just the nature of what this is.
1: You have a lot going on. Have you had time to look at the maps and look at them and see if any of them seem realistic? Or are you ready to say, okay, this could work or this isn't going to work?
0: Well, I, I am on the Legislative Redistricting Committee, so I've spent many, many, many hours with MAPS over these past few months and particularly the last week or two. And, you know, I think we are we are getting close. The The Independent Redistricting Commission pre- presents to us on Monday, and so even though some of their stuff's out there, that's when we'll really have an opportunity to, to look at it and review it. And so there's, you know, the special session is scheduled to potentially begin on November 9th. That's only less than two weeks away, but there is a lot of work and a lot of hours that are going to go into this over the next little bit. So for
1: people that don't know how this works, we've got the Independent Redistricting Committee that came about because people voted and wanted this to happen. Then you've got the Legislative Redistricting Committee. Why do we need two committees? How does that work? How do you come together? Or is the Legislative Committee just trying to do what they want anyways and it doesn't matter what the Independent is doing?
0: Good question and depends on who you ask. All right. (laughs) If you
1: ask me, it's all good. Yeah,
0: Proposition 4 was... What was that, on 2018, I think? Right. T- I think so, no, yeah. 2018 was yeah, that's Proposition right. 4, which created this independent redistricting commission. Now, it's, it's important to note, not trying to get controversial here, that it passed overwhelmingly in some places and did not pass in a lot of places. And so when you're, look, when you're up on the Hill talking to legislatures, I think it was only 40 out of the, or uh, I'm sorry, it was like 25 out of the 29 counties it did not pass. And so the lot, a lot of the legislators out there are saying, listen, I don't have to give any credence to the Independent Redistricting Commission because my people didn't want this. This didn't pass in mine. And so, you know, that's some of the political difficulties that you're working with. Um, you also then have, shortly after we, we passed it through prop, prop 4, the U.S. Supreme Court came down and said, no, redistricting is exclusively within the purview of state legislators. And so you've got that um, – and based on that, there were some negotiations between Better Boundaries, which was the organization that helped push Prop 4 and, and the legislature. And they came up with this compromise that said, okay, we'll create the Independent Redistricting Commission. The legislature's going to do their thing. They can come together, both of you do your work, come together, show each other maps, and, and then at the end of the day, though, the legislature is the one that's going to vote on it. And so, you know, how much credence the legislature gives to those independent redistricting maps is yet to be seen. And, and it's hard to say at this point, because they haven't be even been presented yet. How
1: much credence do you feel like you'll give them?
0: Well, I, again, not not exactly knowing what's on those maps yet. It, it's hard to say, because the criteria that they were using to create their maps is is a little bit different than the criteria that the legislature was using. And so, you know, what, what the rationale is be behind what they did, if, if they didn't take in Uh, incumbency or continuity of representation is what we like to call it as opposed (laughs) to incumbency
2: (laughs) (laughs) it is nicer when you say it
0: if we take if they didn't take that into consideration at all then that may that may make it very difficult for the legislature who ultimately has to vote on it to really give a lot of credence to it because if they put half the legislature having a battle with each other and created a whole bunch of seats that don't have any representation right now well the political reality of that is you're simply just not going to get the votes to to do that, map, Yeah, and the
1: yeah. interesting thing is, Maura, everyone's talking about it, like at home, the people who do talk about it, are talking about it in terms of thinking about congressional seats. But this affects everything from your neighborhood representation and... Uh, just, you know, tiny districts of who's going
2: to run to represent you. So yeah, in many uh, ways, the, the House it and the Senate the, here in Utah. The more local. I mean, remember what, what comes out of this is actually at its raw form, it comes out of precinct jurisdictions. Yep. And the precinct jurisdictions get compiled they add up. into other jurisdictions. And so you're right. I think it disproportionately in many ways. And even though our municipal elections are non- or um, nonpartisan, it will affect sort of how communities are made and how much they go over the hills uh, and how how squirrely it was. I will say, sort of, I'm I'm critical of the last week with some people that I like. I I like Speaker Wilson, but I think for him to say in answer to your question, how's the legislature going to receive it? Well, we have the Speaker of the House already saying I'm frustrated with the process that he has not led and been a part of and hasn't presented to him yet. So I would have said, hey, listen hold your obvious bias at least until after they present to you to discredit a process that was independent of you before you've had them present to you, I think does tip a hand to some bias about it. And I, I, I sort of have heard, I appreciate Kurt outlined the well-repeated argument that these folks in my district didn't vote for it. So, and you were passing that along and to which I say, great. So for the eleven counties uh, that will give a shout out to Greg Hughes for the 11 counties that voted for Greg Hughes for governor. Do they not have to support Spencer Cox? Because apparently that's how we view statewide elections. We get to pick and choose? No. Jurisdictional boundaries. Does play victory in his he county. does. In his mind, this is a true thing. Greg, are so you I, listening right now? <laughs> but I mean, it is, it, it, it's 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 a crazy argument to say in a statewide election, I only have to adhere to what happened in my district because then I can say, well, only who I voted for will I support. And that's the beauty of the American system: is at its best, I can still maybe disagree with the person who got elected, but I hope I get behind the fact that. I can support when they are acting in my interest and I can put my vote behind. So for for me, the argument of they didn't represent me has no credence because it is a statewide vote and therefore the statewide vote is what mandates what the people wanted. I would also remind that Prop 4 originally did have that this mattered. This had some legislative teeth to it. it. It was more than just a casual recommendation. And as Kurt said, it, it had some legality problems, but I want to be clear that when the gutting happened, it was, an, it was a gutting. They could have, the legislature could have done versions. There are many states that have similarly written laws that lend more credibility to these independent commissions than we decided to do. And that was in large part because one of the tenets was that this was not going to be politicized. And as Kurt said, well, it's an interesting question to say, really, can redistricting be independent? It's political, right? Well, I mean, it, it has always been. But to aspire to have it non-political, one of the things that will be interesting is it is almost an apple and an orange because what this independent district will tell you is that they did not take continuity, they didn't take political factors into account. What I do think is really healthy is to see, do they need to? What they what they don't think they they would tell you that there's credibility by putting together like-minded neighborhoods first and not the individual who represents them. So they're taking out the representative and saying, ah, I think they, the representative should defer to the community, would be their best notion. What I like is we'll see different snapshots of the world. I um, am not very hopeful that the legislature will do more with this than they do with, let's say, the governor's budget, which is quickly throw it away. I think they'll summarily dismiss it and I and I, and I think Rob Bishop was rather petulant. I mean, this is a man who has more political chops than almost anyone in the state. He's a seasoned negotiator. For him to throw up his hands and say, this is horrible, feels like theater to me. And, and that's out of respect for the chops that I know Rob Bishop has. So that felt like theatrics to me. I suspect the legislature intended either way to de- similarly dismiss it. But I am interested to see the difference between the two. I suspect in my mind that the independent district probably hasn't taken enough politics into effect. It is a political process. But I I like seeing an alternative to what I think is a hyper, perhaps too political of a process when it comes to selecting. Because the other misnomer is that there are no Democrats, and they are incredibly consolidated. And so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there is a case to be made that the fourth congressional seat should reflect moderate Republicans and Democrats, and that would reflect the Utah community I would be really surprised if the legislature came up with that conclusion. Can we mate
1: them and make these work together? Make a baby between the the maps from the legislature and the independent commission? You Can know, work?
0: I, I think it's possible, but but again, nothing's been presented one way or the other yet, and so it, it's hard to it's hard to see how far apart we're going to be, you know, yeah. at, at this point. Um, tomorrow's point, I I I'm really excited to see, you know, we focus a lot on Utah, but these independent redistricting commissions have, have been a, have been a thing, have been pushed by organizations throughout the country. And so a lot of states have these and, and you're seeing Democrats this kind of backfire to be for frank, sure. Republicans and conservative uh, ideologies have kind of dominated the the state level politics for, for a lot of the country. And so these were these independent redistricting commissions were were an initiative by the left to try to balance that out. And it's interesting because it's kind of backfiring on them in some of these states where they where they got these approved because they have democratic or democrat legislatures, and now because the Republicans have an outsized voice, right. and yet they feel they feel more of an obligation to give you know to give a voice to these independent redistricting commissions that it's actually kind of backfiring on them Be careful in these blue what we states. ask for yeah
2: interesting so yeah I, it's more about the seat that you're in than the party right they 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 switch seats depending on the state they're in yeah sure. and
1: I really I mean I respect the work that's being done I know it's tough work whether you're on the independent or you're on the legislative side I I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot to consider. I think it's stressful. I, I think I was thinking about it just last week. My son turned 16 and we were planning a birthday party, which has nothing to do with legislative districts. But when you have parties for your kids, it's like, do we have a small party with five kids and go do something awesome? Or do you want to invite 20? Or do you want to do this? But always when it comes down to it, it's like, well, if I invite this one, then I have to invite this group. And if you invite this group, then i got to invite this group. And then if not, this kid feels bad and gets left out. I'm like, whoa, this is like some serious redistricting we've got to do to do a party. That's do we right. just not have? a party? Do we invite the whole school? How do we make this, you know, equitable for everyone? I was just like, "Whoa, this is stressing me out, and I'm not even drawing district lines. That's right, and
2: it's like that party, because after you draw them, you really don't know if you invited the right kids until after the party starts. Someone
1: always feels bad
2: afterwards, (laughs) so get ready for that.
1: Someone's gonna feel bad after all of this redistricting going on. All right, we will um, hold on uh, tight and see exactly what happens there, because I do like to see actual... Maps, so we can talk about them and see where it's all going to go. Um, There is a special session coming up. Um, How special will it be? And uh, we're going to let the person who actually is part of the special session go second. What do you want? The peanut gallery will start. (laughs) What do you want to see the legislate legislators in the legislature do?
2: Oh well, I'll start just by snarking at the special session. Oh, Um, I just still feel like. You know, a few years ago, the citizens of the state of Utah decided to cede the power from the executive branch to the legislative branch, which I still feel like is a huge mistake. I was still
1: shocked when that passed. I, I don't know who I am, but I'm And shocked. nobody,
2: I don't think we read, because I'm like, really, you've put them in charge. You gave them the keys to the gym on their own with no prevental. And since then, we've disproportionately seen an incredible amount of special session. It'd be unfair to not insert COVID into that, because most <laughs> of these have been COVID, and they needed to be special sessions, and the executive branch would have called them anyway. But the list, the call on them sometimes starts out, the first rumored call is like page three and four, and then to their credit, they're winnowing it down. But I still think we have too much on the call. So one of the things you'll see me always be an advocate of is do less in a special session. Do big things that fall and qualify into the category of we really, 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 really can't wait the two more months until our regular session starts. Starts on January 18th. So um, there's, there's. Vaccine a, mandates, does that fit in in your book? I don't think so because at this point it's a political toss. It's not a. I, I don't think it has any merit from. A health toss because I think we should be listening to our health advisors at that point. I don't think we need what we have now, which is anti legislation. Um, But we do have some pending issues that I think, and we have some budget issues. And I do think the complexity of ARPA money, the federal um, payout money, has to be dealt with because there's almost too much volume there right now, and you've got to stop chipping away at it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they already are squeezed with the 45 days they have. So the pandemic and the associated work related to that, I can see why you want to put that in an after-school club, if you will, because it's just already on top of the work you have to do. So, I mean, the stuff we're hearing about that, I've heard two or three things like, Dixie, I, don't, I'm, I feel like that might be able to wait for a minute. I really, again, I'm speaking ideologically or philosophically in which I think you should have as little on the call as possible. I think special sessions, I say, from a backroom's deal for lobbyists and things, they run a little differently. They're a little quicker. They have a little bit of operative to them that I, I think it's nice to steer clear of seeing that just the operators can operate in those gavel in, gavel out mm-hmm. sessions. So I, I think Dixie can wait. I think it'll be on the call. Um, I do know that there were some organizational changes in some independent organizations and I think they've taken those off. Uh, what you'll talk about next week, I think that's really healthy that they took it off. So
1: So Senator Colemore who yes, actually gets it will to be, be a part of this do you know what's on the agenda already or are you waiting anxiously like everyone else to find out what you'll actually be meeting about?
0: Well, we've we've got some ideas, and I'm going to pass the buck a little bit because this one is actually going to be called by the executive right. branch. Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> <So laughs> this is not the legislature. This is not us this time. Yeah. Um, but, no, certainly, I mean, the whole point of this one is for redistricting, of course, and then a few other things are going to make the call. Likely the Dixie issue will make the call. The uh, addressing vaccine mandates will probably make the call. That one's probably going to be on there just because there there is a lot of pressure on the legislature. I mean – Hundreds of emails a day. I think each legislator is receiving right now, one way or the other. And there's a there's a feeling of an emergency there because so many businesses are implementing these mandates, and some people are feeling like their their employment or they're, they're facing job termination if they don't if they don't do something. And so the state. Is looking to address it because there is a perceived emergency so
1: let's talk about that your side hustle or maybe your real job you're an attorney (laughs) um yesterday harman's a locally run business here in utah um, decided that they would if you don't um, get the vaccine and i don't know if they gave a date that you would pay an extra 200 dollars a month on your insurance can they do that legally um is it just sorry go get a job someplace else or are there questions when businesses start to do that
0: well, certainly right now in today's climate, it's legal. And so this is what we're trying to balance, you know, the, the rights of businesses and corporations versus individual rights and, and where's their overlap. And, you know, if you talk to a libertarian in a perfect libertarian world, businesses can do whatever in the heck they want. But we know that's not the case right now. There's lots of employee mm-hmm. rights and, and there's lots of uh, labor laws and stuff like that. And so this is one of those areas where we're wading into and we really haven't before. And so you know, do individual rights, Trump business rights, or should the government even be getting involved? And, and that's what we're going to have to address. I think there's a, there's a will right now. There's a push to say, listen, if you want to mandate vaccines, then that's something that you're totally able to do, but it's got to be nuanced. Like we got to consider exemptions, whether it's medical, religious, maybe strongly held personal belief exemptions. Do we consider uh, prior contractions of COVID, you know, natural immunity and stuff like that. And so that's what's probably going to be discussed and debated in the special session. Where do those nuances and those exemptions fit in if we're, if uh, businesses are going to mandate this stuff?
1: One of the things I know that have been a concern in other states, and it could be here too, the U has had um, something in place for a while, but I see coming out this week and saying that all of their staff, um, caregivers, would need to have the vaccine. I think it's by January. Right now, we're already worried about having a nursing shortage and whatnot. Is this part of what you're hearing from the community on saying I want my nurses and doctors vaccinated, or are there some that are calling you and saying, "Hey, I work at a hospital and I don't want this. What do I do?"
0: You, we're getting all the calls, all of the above, right now, and so we we are getting a lot of employees, um, medical professional employees, that are saying I I don't want to be vaccinated for whatever reason, but I'm gonna I'm gonna face job termination, and we do have a labor shortage, not just not just in the healthcare, but everywhere, and so. You know that's something that we we feel like we probably need to address, and uh, you know I don't I don't know what it looks like. I, mean, I I can appreciate why why businesses want this, and and particularly in the healthcare industry. But without any nuance, just saying you have to get this vaccine, I I, I think that's I think that's too broad.
2: I'd be interested. You know, a statistic I haven't heard is. What's the normal drop-off rate for restrictions? So what I say is, so we have all this heated about COVID, but you know, people don't take jobs because the commute's too far, or the salary wasn't enough, or they don't want to work a swing shift, or the hours don't work, yeah. or you can't lift what is required, or you didn't ad- adhere to other health and medical conditions that were required for that job. This is not the first time... In um, employment history, where a requirement of a job, a mandate of something, whether and, and it's a mandate of a behavior or a personal test, we've required vaccines for years. That's that's not new. In although terms in of- the state of
1: Utah, you can still there's three different exemptions here in the right. state of Utah with health, medical, and. It's not religion. philosophical. What but do we it's call it? Religious, here? but it's not. It's like it's
2: a strongly held, personal. held a strongly held belief. Yes, uh, yeah. that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and I think that's the caveats that that Greg's t- talking about. But I mean, I look at Harmons. I'll come back to that. This is one of in my mind Utah's best run companies. They value diversity. They hire the un the unhireable and the less than desirable hires. They have amazing leaves. They give to the community. Um, it's locally owned. They have been a consummate. I think, not only a successful business, but they have been one of the strongest community-minded businesses that we have in town. And this is a fourth-generation company. And so I can't imagine they didn't approach this without care for both their customer and care for their employer. Because that's my experience with Harmons. I mean, they're an incredibly run local organization and, and business. And I would hate to see it. I mean, it's hard for me to... The challenge with the legislature is it's political by nature. And so the politic does creep in to the policy discussion yeah. over and over. It'll be interesting to see because let's
1: say you're a checker at Harmons and you don't want to get your vaccine. You right. can easily go and get a job just to every door you walk to right now. Everybody wants a, a place. Sign. Yeah. If I want to go to Kane's Chicken, I think it was yesterday, they said $18 an hour, $20 right. an hour. If you're going to push carts or check someone out at Costco, you can
2: You make, have choices. As you've employee. got
1: options. Yeah. So it's not like you don't have anywhere to go right now.
0: I think the hard thing about Harmons or whoever it might be is that these vaccine mandates on the employees does not seem like it's free market driven because I think people are shopping there right now, regardless of whether the checker is or is not vaccinated. This feels like it is companies doing the, doing these mandates at the behest of the federal government. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky and, and where it doesn't feel like it's a free market approach. You know, this is where it feels like this is federal government or political pressure or media pressure and not driven by Consumer pressure.
2: Yeah, I'd be hard pressed to say that Harmon's cares more about the federal government than their bottom line in many ways. And I think their bottom line includes their employees and their health and safety because grocery stores are working on the margins anyway. I feel they're like they're I, self insured,
1: I, though. Don't you think that it's like them
2: not wanting to get screwed financially right now? I, I am not that I am I am not that critical of their You're not that cynical. I'm not I don't think I think that that comes from pushback on the worldview that they're taking. and I think their worldview is fair, and I think they're giving them plenty of room and space to do it. And as you said, they have the employees have options. And so in some ways, because it's such an employee-driven market, I don't know of very many retail-level businesses who aren't looking for hiring somebody at prices that, frankly, we haven't – living wage prices that we have not ever seen in the state of Utah who still has a 7 $25 minimum wage. I mean, these yeah. are double and triple that. So given that, isn't that a part of the holistic system anyway? What, what happens to these people who lose their job because of their own personal choices that we want to respect? Well, likely – they can find another job. And so why are we disrupting that marketplace right now when they have options? Unless everyone, I guess, at some point is under
1: whatever the OSHA guideline is. So the, I guess that's the question that comes in. And I heard President Biden say something the other day that made me wonder if there ever would be this mandate coming out from OSHA anyways, because he's like, see, the threat is working. And so I'm like, is this dad just being like, I'm going to put you in out Or and then he I'm going to pull
2: it. this car over if you don't. And the and, car never gets pulled And Biden's pulled administration over. hasn't done this very well, right? I mean, this has not been... He did lean in heavy on the threat and doesn't seem to be legislating it. Yeah,
0: there's, there was a federal court ruling in D.C. this morning too. That uh, at least I read about it this morning. That said, that whatever whoever the employer was, I can't remember if it was a federal agency or if it was just an employer in D.C. But that if they did not consider at least consider religious exemptions, that right. the case couldn't move on. And so it's it's being challenged at this point, um, even even though there's not that federal mandate yet.
1: Yeah. And I think people are interested, and I think when you look at it, I think a lot of people are thinking that Utah is not very vaccinated. I tweeted the numbers yesterday. I have to pull them up. But if you look at the 12 and over age group, I mean, the vast majority of Utahns are vaccinated. It's like 72% that have had at least one shot, I think, I tweet too much because i got to scroll through to find it. (laughs) And so, I mean, most people are. The people who aren't, uh, the question is, you know, what are their deeply held beliefs? Have they had COVID already? And so, I mean, there's obvious questions, I think, that you want to talk to people about, hopefully as employers, and find out why they're not getting vaccinated, you know, are there reasons behind it? But um, Utah, I don't think, is lagging behind other areas where they drastically are, you know, not getting those vaccines in. I cannot find my numbers anymore. I need glasses too. I'm getting old.
0: I might ask Mara too. Like, if if employers can mandate this vaccine, and and make it a condition of employment, where would you draw the line? Like, what what? What about your medical history can they ask and what, what can they fire you for?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, HIPAA is really narrowly defined. So I just want to distinguish medical history asking from what we, we throw around HIPAA as though we can't talk about ourselves. So I should say I'm in the class that says you should have exemptions I and and you can define those. And I think there are lots of good reasons. I was listening to the story the other day of a woman who has a history of actually being vaccine allergic like like from the time she was little she struggled with all levels and it wasn't for her philosophical about COVID it was just this long medical history that really was rational and made sense that is to say there are lots of different kinds of people living lots of lives that are thoughtfully and at the end of the day I'm very western about the independence but I don't want this to be a political big gear but rather to say yeah there should be thoughtful I think opt out for everybody. Um, But I don't think it is, you know, that I go back to the 70s, 80s, 90s when we're talking about who gets to smoke pot and everyone's like, yeah, it's part of my religious tradition, right? I mean, I think it really needs to be... personal to the person, so there's flexibility there, and that's vagueness to the law, and I think if you want to go through the pro- process of opting out, I have found with most pieces of legislation, it's as much about the process you have to go through, because you separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit there. If you're sort of a yeller and it's not deeply held, you probably won't go fill out the form, but if it is meaningful to you, and whether it's personal or whether it's uh, health related then let's always give someone a process to opt out. And so if I were a member of the legislature, I would want to focus on that process even less than the definition. I would say, listen, I-, I can be fluid about the definition because I will separate how serious people are by the process that they have to do to leave that behind. Because the definition's really hard. That, What are you going to write the long eight pages of the who, who, who? But if you make it a process, I don't mean unduly hard, but yeah. like... Any effort. Yeah. Well, everyone always says
1: follow the science right now. And I feel like in some ways we don't um, completely follow the science. You mentioned people who had COVID before. Greg likes to talk about that a lot. But natural immunity, when you look at the definition of herd immunity over the years, it's... I mean, if you've had chickenpox, you don't go get the chickenpox vaccine. And so I feel like we need to take, you know, some of that in, like, take a step back, take a deep breath, don't make it political, and just say, you know, what makes sense science-wise. I did find those numbers, 75.1% of all eligible Utahns 12 and over have had at least one dose and 67.4% are fully vaccinated, which to me is a, I mean, I think a fairly high percentage that we've got here in Utah. One thing I think is interesting when you're looking at people, I think there are people who are Worried about side effects, and you know, not everyone's going to have side effects, but some people are. I did a story. I want to say it was in February of this year, and talked to three different people just because we've been hearing so many people. One person got the normal flu-like symptoms, was fine a couple days later. Someone else had um, really weird swelling lymph nodes, but eventually was fine. And then a third woman, who they believe afterwards it was an anaphylactic shock where her throat closed down. It. Um, broke her vocal cords, and made it so she couldn't breathe. She was in the ICU, um, was on the mend when I talked to her at home, and I was talking to her husband the other day, and I'm like, these are the kind of people we really have to be thinking about. She's only had one dose, because after the first dose and you almost die, you're not like, hey, what day can I sign up for the second dose? And they're at the point where um, they want to go on vacations, they want to go to concerts, they want to live their lives, but Unless she gets the second dose, she can't do it, or her job also wants her to get the second dose. And to do that, they're considering actually seeing if they could book her a room in an ICU so she can be in there so when she gets the shot, they can save her life if something happens again. And I'm like, that's a – I mean, we've got to be thinking about people like this who – we're like, is it really a good idea to be like, you got to get the second shot or else? And they know that or else is a fairly serious thing for them. So I think that's something that hopefully the legislature will be considering, you know?
0: There's a lot of stories like that, right? Yeah. I mean, more than other medical procedures that I've heard of in my lifetime. I mean, I, I don't think my little brother will mind me sharing this, but he, he got the first shot. He ended up in the ER twice and has been seeing a cardiologist since, you know? And so he's one of those ones that's like, I I don't think I need that second shot.
1: You yeah, know? I'm good with one. Um, yeah. Yeah,
0: and so I, I think we do need to take that into account, and and it's interesting the numbers you gave us for almost any other disease, we'd say, hey, we have succeeded, we've we've hit that herd immunity, we're we're doing great, and yet there's still this constant push to get yeah. every last person and. and some people might ask for what.
1: Yeah, and we've had 600,000 close to that. I think I haven't looked at the numbers yet today, but we're getting close to that number um, that have had COVID who've actually had the positive test, which one would assume more than that in the state of Utah have been sick. And when you add that to the numbers of people who've been vaccinated, um, I mean, it's not 100% bulletproof if you've had COVID or if you've had the vaccine, obviously there can be breakthrough cases, but we should be nearing you know, the magical herd immunity at this point, one would assume, because we only have just over – is it 3.2 million in the state? I don't know. Yeah, around right. that. So, I mean, we're getting to the point where we should be being like, okay, cool, we we're done with the pandemic.
2: But I don't and know And I think if we some are. of these last pushes are to get people there. Frankly, yeah. I again, I'm I'm holding true with the two of you that I think we need to opt out of people, but those are still the minority. And so you're still legislating or policy making for the majority. I mean, that's sort of how law works. And, and so I think I think I would be thinking of it as an opt-out for the minority but not politicize it. And so I do think these pushes, most of us are tolerating it. Um, most of us have the, the, some of the, the where we are now is because you've already gotten sick and you have immunity yeah. one way or the other. I do think what we're talking about, though, that we haven't seen is the maturing of the conversation. So I get why we were in a full panic two years ago. We... We didn't know much about it, and it was. There's a lot of questions, and I still feel like Heidi. You've said this week after week, which I believe, which is we still sometimes are like blanket on this, like we know nothing about it. We, you know, and it. We should know more now, and we should be able to be smarter than two years ago about. And we do this with other forms of medicine, you know. At the end of every long speed read is, and if you're allergic to it, don't take it. And you, we've been to the doctor, and they're like, if this doesn't work for you, we should try this. We don't seem to have reach that maturity level with COVID. it is still either all in or all out as opposed to the nuances of medical care i think maybe we're past the the free fall where we were just freaking out and it was like i don't know do do something to stop this absolutely and and our conversation our political conversation has not kept up with the fact that maybe we could be more strategic not so blanket about everything
0: I I think you're right. I think we're at the point where, okay, let persuasion take over and not coercion. And so I think I think that's the policy yeah. that we're trying to address. And that's good.
1: And I think people recognize there, there's risk. I mean, we did a story about a gentleman this week from Utah County. He was 28 and died. I don't know all the details of his case. But people are dying from COVID, and there are people getting, you know, sick from the shot. And so, you know, when there's risk, you got to give people, you know, options and choices. And we've got to be realistic and talk about it, not like my way or the highway on, you know, any end of the spectrum. Because, you know, there is a spectrum of things that you have to look at. So I think that's the important thing is just like digging yourself out of your hole where it's just like, you know, this only tunnel vision that you see and you know, listen to other people. So I'll be interested to see how that all goes. So we await to see if peace and love happens. Uh we gotta end on something nice here. Did you guys see Senator Romney's tweets? (laughs) Some people were like so mad at him because he was trying to be fun on Twitter and some people are like, I love this Senator Romney, you're so cute. He uh did some memes, I don't know if you saw him where he dressed up as Ted Lasso from that Apple series, but he also mixed in Coach Taylor from it called Friday Night Lights? Saturday Night Lights? Friday, Friday, Night, Friday Lights. Night Lights. Uh, because he used that theme um, for his run when he ran for Senate and president as well. Did you chuckle, chortle, say, oh, that's cute? Or were you like, I hate
2: this? I am going to channel our earlier conversation mm-hmm. about snarky online and just say, you know... Good for Mitt Romney for being funny, Light, huh?
0: Lighten up, people. Yeah,
2: I mean, like, <laughs> he wanted to do something fun. He went all in with it. Like, you know, he, they paid attention to costuming. You got to give him that they leaned into it. I know, they, like, they went all the, the way. patch on the sweater. Yeah. He had the mustache. And it was upbeat, and it was positive. So even if you think at the end of the day he didn't pull it off, like, go find something else to complain about. Like, good for him for being vulnerable by being sort of dorky and dressing up and Halloweeny and positive and fun. Um, This is what people said he was missing when he ran for president, right? right. And so, like, whether you liked it or not, give him an A for lightening it up a little bit, being funny, not being so stiff. I thought it was good fun that they even took the time to do it. Successful, I'm not sure, but I don't care. I just appreciated that he was having a good time with something. Everyone
1: was reading so much into it. They were like, you know, biscuits with the boss. Should he be calling
2: cinema the boss? Were you you bothered by that? No, again, I thought that that was all just like lowest common denominator so the only thing so I shouldn't say this because I'm going to contradict myself <laughs> the some of the not so nice memes though were super funny I mean some of the eye rolls and the so just like let's leave those a standalone theater some of the responses that said he wasn't so funny were pretty funny but no those were horrible trolley things and I was like the guy was trying to do something trying to be fun yeah he just trying to be fun
0: well, I am out of it. I've been running ragged since 6 a.m. I haven't it? seen all of this yet. Okay, so it
1: was yesterday. I've got to at least um, yeah. show you so you can look at them. But uh, the funny thing is, is that, um, I don't know, we just live in such a bizarre world right now where everyone gets mad about something. And um, have you watched Ted Lasso? Do you know what Ted Lasso is?
0: I've seen an episode, but my wife's seen it all. So oh, I'm she has. Okay.
2: So part of it is whether you're, you know, a Ted Lasso fan.
1: I admit gonna- I love Ted Lasso and I laugh at it. Okay, do you have them pulled up? Yeah, we're showing. Yes, so he has ones where he's dressed just as Ted Lasso. He has ones where he's giving biscuits to the boss like Ted Lasso does gotcha. to um, Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten, Kristen. Now I just can't even remember Kristen. in my brain. Um, oh, and here's the one where he comes out and hits the believe sign. Yeah. And uh, so anyhow, I thought they were a good fun and interestingly fun. enough, it came after the. SNL weekend too where um, Sudeikis who played him when he was running for president played you know the milk chugging you know I didn't even catch yeah and so I was like you know what you can have fun if people play you on you know SNL for years and then that same guy's there you know why not good
2: fun yeah good fun way to go all in on it he looked great
1: I hope I never get to a point in my career where someone wants to play me on SNL because (laughs) I just don't want to see how somebody portrays you right that's the scary part but Anyhow, he tried at Halloween, and why not? We need more fun in the world these days. Thank you, both of you, for coming in here and talking serious topics on this Halloween weekend. Hopefully, we can all squeeze a little fun in. And I look forward to seeing whatever pictures your wife comes up with for you. Here's something fun about your wife. When I was trying to Google you earlier for something, I don't remember what I was Googling. I look up your name. The first thing that comes up in Google is your wife. They Google Mm -hmm. your name and then wife. Everyone wants to see your wife. Good, I'm glad. She's like the number one Google search for you. So there you go. Tell her she's top on the Well done. (laughs) She's much
0: more fun on social media (laughs) than me. She is.
1: All right, I'll have to look her up. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great weekend, everyone. And try to be nice.